0: What we're studying tonight is, to me, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. I, I know pretty much all of Scripture should be our favorite, but we all pick out one or two things that we really, really like. This is going to be out of Luke, chapter 14. We're going to read 25 through 33, and I'm, I'm titling this, Is it true discipleship if it costs you nothing? So listen to the reading in the word. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? "...whether he has enough to finish it, lest, after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him, with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever you of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word this evening, that that which you've laid in my heart that I bring to this group would be uh, that which encourages them which uplifts them, which causes them to review their life as you have caused me to review my life through this portion of your scripture. Father, let us all take our discipleship seriously as Christ presented this to his 12 in the days when he walked this earth Uh, for our benefit, for us in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a sterile belief system based on outward conformity to rules, but void of any actual commitment, is called legalism. That's not discipleship. Anything we do in this life, any thriving relationship we have in this life is based on commitment. We all realize that we only get out of every endeavor what we put into that endeavor. So our sacrifice and our energy are what make that perfect for us and what we grow and we achieve through that. That holds true in everything but our service for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who atoned for us with his very blood. We become comfortable in our Christianity, and we adopt a this-is-good-enough attitude uh, and And we become satisfied with a mediocre relationship with our Savior and God. But Jesus taught his personal disciples that their relationship with him would be a well-informed, dedicated, all-or-nothing proposition. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So Jesus taught four conditions here in this portion of scripture. The first condition is... We cannot have a divided heart. We have to make a choice. The second condition is discipleship requires personal commitment. The third condition is we must count the cost of true discipleship. And the fourth condition is Christ must be valued above all else in our life. So let's start at verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them. So we see great multitudes followed Jesus Christ. Do we know how many true disciples he had at the end of his time on earth? It was approximately 120. And we get that from Acts 1, 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number and names are about 120. So after great multitudes followed him. And he was healing them and all the things that he was doing and feeding probably closer to 12,000 than the 5,000 men because it had women and children with him. At the end of his time, he had 120. So in three and a half years of healing the sick, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, causing the lame to walk, and feeding 5,000 or more with what you would, could not barely feed a single family for, He ends up with 120. So we can see here that Jesus was not worried about numbers. He was not a numbers guy. But what also we can see from this is if the world likes you, it's not because you reflect Jesus Christ. Right? So we need to consider that when we're looking at our discipleship. Because we can be tentative. Well, we don't want to offend this one. We don't want to offend that one. I don't want to offend Jesus Christ. I don't want to offend my God. The, the rest can be taken care of. The rest is going to be offended by us by the very say, fact that we have Jesus Christ within us. There's no way around that. We, we should be kind. We can be kind. We can be loving. We should do all we can to be there for them when it comes time that God lays on their heart that they need to accept him. And we could be used in that way. But we cannot be worried about whether the world likes us. Verse 26 is the first condition. We can't have a divided heart. And the verse is, if anyone comes to me and hates not his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yea, his own life also, he can't be my disciple. Jesus is saying he wants his disciples to understand that their first test is, Where is your heart? Can we hate our father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even our own life? That's not actually what. It is what Jesus is saying, but not the way you think it's what Jesus is saying. And that's why I like this portion of scripture, because when you go to the commentaries, it just blows up with all the reasons why this can't be what it's actually saying. But listen to the way. When we take scripture just solely for scripture's sake and quit trying to make, be apologists for Jesus Christ, we can really get down to what God is really saying. So let's look at this. The Strong's Concordance, and even R.C. Sproul, and I I take this strongly that um, when I differ with R.C. Sproul, there's every possibility I'm wrong. But I do believe, I I differ with him here, and I'll tell you why. He defines this as love less. And Strong's Concordant defines it as love less, or loving one thing more than another. That's not my opinion by the Greek. And I don't think the Greek supports it with other supporting um, scriptures. Hate means to dislike strongly with the implication of a deep-seated aversion to the point of being openly hostile or to kill in one's heart. That doesn't sound like, like um, love less. The word carries an either or meaning. Not a more or less. Meseo which is the Greek word. Centers on a moral choice. Evaluating one against another. To the point of eliminating one. And accepting the other. So we're making a moral choice. Hebrews 1.9 says... You have loved righteousness and hated, this is our word, Maseo, lawlessness. Are we to assume that Jesus Christ loved lawlessness and sin, but not as much as he loved righteousness? No. Jesus was God. God is perfect. God has no place for sin. So Maseo here is not love less, it's hate, to have an aversion to, to have a hatred for, to be diametrically opposed to, and not able to tolerate any kind of sin. That's how Christ viewed sin. Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor to hate or detest what is evil and cling to what is good. See, this isn't a more or less. This isn't either or. John, and we'll finish this part with John 15, 24 and 25. If I had not done among them the works, which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated, detested, despised, and were openly hostile to both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated, they utterly despised me without cause and they hated, utterly despised both me and my father. They were The world and mankind was diametrically opposed to and could not tolerate Jesus Christ and God the Father. They didn't love him less. They hated him. We were enemies of God before salvation. We weren't just passive bystanders. We know that Jesus is not teaching here, that once you become a disciple that you have to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, daughter, um, whoever you want. That, that's not the point of this. The point is that, and, and, and we know this especially from the two great commandments. The first commandment, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your being. And a second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we know that God isn't saying as soon as you get saved, you hate everybody around you unless they're a believer. That's not what God is saying. What is being brought up here is a believer and their relationship to Christ may cause others that they love to be hostile to, to them to a point where they have to make a choice between them. Some of us have children or parents or cousins or somebody that once they found out that we were saved and they started seeing Christ in us, were offended by us. And it brought us to a point where we had to make a choice. Yes, I love them. I'm going to pray for them. I want God to change their life. But until that happens, I choose God over them. And if that means I don't have a relationship well that means I don't have a relationship because my relationship is with Jesus Christ with God and with his people with with you here this is this is where our priority should be this is where our life is so the cross let, let's go to verse 27 and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple Bear his cross, that's to assume the responsibility of, to endure, to carry the weight of, and to tolerate the trials and the suffering associated with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what bear his cross means. A true, true discipleship is not easy. And if you have a discipleship that seems to be easy to you, you might need to review your discipleship. Because I don't know how you can have a deep abiding love for Jesus Christ and have Satan and his hordes not doing everything they can to disrupt your life. That you can't, that when you read the word of God, it doesn't offend you at how sinful you are when you're reading the word of God. So if you have an easy discipleship, you need to review that discipleship. See, we fixate on the superfluous possibilities or the unnecessary arguments like, did Jesus struggle with, with pride, jealousy, lust? And the answer is no. He was God. He was perfect. He was tempted with no possibility of failure. So God, he, he didn't suffer through those. But we misplace our focus and miss the weightier things that he did experience, like rejection from his own people and his family, wrath at the hand of the Father, hunger, thirst, weariness, scourging, and the cross. Those are the things that we need to concentrate on what Christ did and what he suffered for our sakes. The cross is the ultimate symbol of eternal love and forgiveness, but in this application, it's a symbol of pain, suffering, humiliation, and death. So that's the cross we carry. What is it your depth of commitment to Christ? What are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of serving Christ? Is anything in your life carrying a higher priority than Christ? Remember Matthew 6.24. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate, again our word, the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Again, this is not a more or less. This is an either or. You're either on one side of the coin or the other. You aren't on both sides of the coin. It's impossible. Verse 28 through 32. And actually, I'm flying through this. I'm doing really good. I'm flying through this a lot faster than I thought it would. I'm thinking, man, we're going to be here like two hours. (laughs) They're going to hate me. They'll never let me back up here. So verse 28 through 32 is our third condition. We must count the cost of true discipleship. And this is for which of you intending to build a tower. So we have the whole tower situation. And what king goes to war with another king without counting the cost? So what he's getting at in that whole portion of scripture right there about building a tower and, and... counting your army is everything we do in life has a cost. and everything we do, we weigh that cost. Our families, what we do with our private time, what we do in our discipleship, is, it, nothing is different. The metaphor of the tower and the army are both military terms. When you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and majority of the world and a third of the angels that fell from heaven are totally opposed to you. You are at war. And that's what this whole tower and army business is about. You enter into discipleship knowing you're entering into war. We have a battle that we fight until the day we die. That's why we look so forward to heaven. Because that battle will be over. So what do we gain in discipleship after reasoning in our minds and counting the cost? Will we enjoy the temporal comforts and acceptance of the world, or will we choose to die daily for Christ and receive his eternal blessings? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul states, And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And Paul, ans- Paul answers that um, question that he posed in 1 Corinthians, and, uh, well, Paul gets his answer in Revelation 21. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain. The former things are passed away. That's our ultimate goal. That's what we're ultimately, don't you do that. That's my wife's life first, And when she gets torn up, I get torn up. Hold on. So what we're ultimately looking forward to is that time when we're with Christ and everything in this earth is past. So verse 33 is our, our fourth condition. Christ must be valued above everything else in our life. So likewise, whosoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We have to make a decision to forsake, to abandon, to break away from. What are we forsaking? What are we abandoning? Anything and everything that would put us at odds with Jesus Christ because it would give us a divided heart. Anything that we put before Christ divides our heart. And that's the one thing that Christ will not accept. Any job, relationship, lifestyle that divides your affection and demands you choose anything temporal over anything eternal must be rejected. It doesn't mean you, you quit your job because you just spent too much time there. No. You have to provide for your family. But the hours you put into it as opposed to the hours you put into Christ, you say, well, I have to provide for me. Yes, you do. But there has to be time you set aside for the Lord. There has to be time. You you can dedicate yourself to your job. I did it for years. I, I forsook all for the sake of my job, even Christ. And that's why this means so much to me, because I saw the time that I wasted we waste vast majorities of our time in these temporal pursuits and not spending the time on Jesus Christ that we should and what we have in God and how we can use us in ministries. My goodness, we had to retire to find out what we could do for Christ. And it shouldn't have been that way. We should have been doing this for Christ all the way through our lives, and we did not. See. When we love and enjoy family, friends, job, and recreation, it's only because of our love for Christ. We can't truly love our family if we don't love Christ first. We can't truly enjoy the temporal things in this world unless we truly understand that they're a gift from God. Even in their diminishing capacity, even in their sin, even in the fact that, that our world is at record speed coming to an end and we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, while we're here and we see the beauty of the mountains and we have time with our family, we see our kids grow up and we have our grandkids and our great grandkids, those are all things given to us by God that we should enjoy, but we don't enjoy them above God, we enjoy them because of God and we can't enjoy them because of God unless we're spending time with God which is what discipleship is. And none of this is on my paper. And I probably don't know where I'm at now. So we draw this conclusion. If I truly love Jesus Christ, my family, my friends may reject me. I may lose my job. My life may become considerably more difficult. Those are the possibilities that we have to consider. And and we need to do that. It it needs to be part of our our prayer life. We need to answer this one question posed by Jesus and, and consider his conclusion. This is out of Mark 8, 36 through 38. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, is in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So, dear ones, in love, I ask you to evaluate your soul. Spend time in prayer. Figure out where your discipleship is, where you're lacking in your discipleship, where you're lacking in your commitment to Jesus Christ, confess that as sin and change. We are in our personal, where you are in your personal discipleship and how much does it mean to you to cast off the cares of the world? That's what you have to determine. To live a life true to the word of God and commitment to service and obedient to Christ will cost you everything, and it should cost you everything. The gift of salvation is a free gift, but a life for Christ costs you everything, and that's discipleship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that your word is true. I pray, Father, that each one of us in this room would evaluate exactly where we are in our relationship to you. How seriously do we take our love and commitment to you. How seriously do we pursue the things that bring glory and honor to you? How serious are we that we would leave all for your sake? Father, I pray that each one of us would would have you first in their thought and on their minds, that you would be the first thing that they think of when they wake up in the morning and the last one they speak to when they go to bed at night. Pray, Father, that this church would grow in truth and in love, that they would be light and salt to this area, that each member of this church would grow in Christ to such a degree that when people in the community see them, they see the face of Jesus on them, that they are light to them. Father, I pray that you use each one of us for your purpose And that each one of us would dedicate our lives to you uh, in such a way that no one would hesitate to say that is truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you for all things. In Jesus' name. Amen.